Tokyo Game Life, a Tokyo-based video game podcast focusing on Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Your host, Mono, here to bring you a slice of gaming life from Tokyo. Today, I'm joined by fellow Tokyo resident Dale from Dale Plays Games as we dish out more than 10 predictions for Nintendo in 2024. What franchises are coming back? What's the next Nintendo movie announcement? What color will the Switch 2 logo be? All will be answered. Plus, Dale and I also chat about the final piece of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet DLC, the Indigo Disc. In the feature, I explore the surprisingly intricate world of Earthbound pop-up shops. Did you know there were at least two this year in Tokyo alone? Join me as I take you on a journey filled with Nintendo Clear Files and Porky Magnets. Let's get right into our Nintendo in 2024 predictions with Dale Plays Games. Tokyo Game Life, only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Nintendo had an amazing 2023, but it's time to look forward, all the way to 2024, which is either tomorrow or now, depending on when you're listening to this. But either way, I wanted to throw out some predictions on what could be a pivotal year for the company. But I'm not alone, as I'm joined by a special guest who will also share some predictions. So guest, please introduce yourself. Hi everyone, Dale here from DPG. I'm a gamer who also lives in Japan. I'm currently making reviews of video games on YouTube. Pleasure to be here once again. Thanks for joining me yet again. On a previous episode, we tossed out some predictions for Tears of the Kingdom. I'm going to be honest, both of us whiffed pretty hard, but yeah. people did say that they liked the episode and they liked our predictions. So listeners, at least you'll have some fun listening to us, which is most important. Mm. And to be honest, I think Tears of the Kingdom would have been even better if they used our predictions, right? Yeah, if you can improve on almost perfection, I would say so. <laughs> As, especially my idea of procedural generation. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that wasn't in the game after you said it, because that was a great idea. But maybe next time. Maybe. So here's how it's going to work. We each have five predictions for Nintendo in 2024. Now, we are going into this with the assumption that Switch 2, or the Switch successor, will release in 2024. So we aren't wasting a prediction on that. Though mm. I do think it would be kind of funny if Nintendo just released the next Switch in 2025, and then it totally ruined the episode and baffled everybody, but we're going in with the assumption that Switch 2 is 2024. So maybe some of our predictions will be centered around that. Mm. So Dale, you are the guest, so please share your first prediction for Nintendo in 2024. Okay, first prediction, probably the biggest one to start with. 2024 will be the year of Donkey Kong. I've got a few reasons for that. As I'm sure most of our listeners know, the Donkey Kong expansion is coming to Universal Studios next year. Yes. And Donkey Kong is an IP that in the gaming space at least, has been pretty quiet for some time. Mm. It's been 10 years since the major release, which was Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze back on the Wii U. So I think it's well past time we got Donkey Kong. And considering that we're getting the USJ expansion, and considering the big role that Donkey Kong had in the Mario movie this year, and Donkey Kong characters being included as DLC in Mario Kart 8, Mm, yes, I think we are on the cusp of a Donkey Kong revival, and I think we will see that next year. And it does start indeed with the remake of Mario versus Donkey Kong. So I think whether it's the year of Donkey Kong or not, I think we're getting something Donkey Kong next year. To make the Super Nintendo World expansion Donkey Kong themed, it makes sense because Mario and Donkey Kong are so close, but they could really make it anything. They could have made it Pokemon or Zelda, but to make it Donkey Kong, I think that is definitely maybe a hint towards DK showing up back in the spotlight. Do you think we might get a DK game in 2024? 
I think we might, if not 2024, 2025, in the next few years, not produced by Retro Studios, probably Mm. a Japanese developer or a developer we haven't considered yet. And I think it will give us something different that we haven't seen from Donkey Kong before. I like Donkey Kong Country fair enough, but I'm more of a Donkey Kong arcade kind of person. I like the city aesthetic. So I think it'd be cool to kind of maybe go back to that or maybe blend them both or try to get out of the jungle. But I think most people are probably familiar with the DKC aesthetic. A lot of people forget those games were massive, massive hits on the Mm. Super Nintendo. So to revive that again would be a good idea. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country 2 is probably my favorite game. Definitely my favorite 2D side-scroller. It's just so nostalgic for me. Holds up very well these days. And Nintendo keep releasing these SNES games on their online services. They got re-released on Wii, on Wii U, and now they're on Nintendo Switch Online. So despite being made by Rareware, and you see the big Rare logo every time you turn it on, it's still a property that Nintendo considers valuable. So I think we're well past time for something new in Donkey Kong. That's a great prediction. My first prediction, probably not as bold, but I think that Mario Kart will hit Switch 2 next year in 2024, and it will have a track editor. You will be able to make your own Mario Kart tracks in the game and share them. The reasoning for this, of course, this is kind of a dual prediction. Mario Kart 9 or 10 or whatever number they give to it on Switch 2 is, that's a prediction in itself, and I think a pretty safe prediction. Eventually, we will see another Mario Kart before the heat death of the universe. And I'm sure they will try to get it out as soon as possible. So that's more of a safer prediction. So I wanted to add in the track editor part as well. Part of me thinks of Mario Kart Live, which was the actual Mario Kart toy. And you can make your own tracks in your home, sort of. So I think they would kind of take that idea and bring it to the main game. I don't think it will be the principal feature. I don't think that's what they're going to lead with. It won't be Mario Kart Maker. I think it would just be a mode within Mario Kart 9. I want to. I keep wanting to call it 9. It might be called 10 or who knows what. But the next Mario Kart, I definitely think a track maker is on the table. Yeah, a next Mario Kart is a pretty safe prediction in itself. Yeah, it is inevitable. I would like to imagine it's going to be called Mario Kart X. If you count Tour mm. as 9, then yeah. X is just that, just a nice a nice sound to it, I think. If it doesn't have a track editor, it will have some other big selling point. I do love the idea of a track editor. I love it when players are allowed to be creative and I can play what other pe- people make because I'm just terrible at making things. Like I, lo- I love Mario Maker. Mm. I'm horrendous at making my own levels, but I love seeing what other people come up with. Speaking of Mario Kart and what a gimmick could be, I mean, we've had Double Dash with two players. We've had Anti-Gravity and Mario Kart 8. I do have an idea of what a major gimmick and selling point could be. I think it will be related to whatever technology the Switch 2 includes. There's a game on PlayStation 5, Ratchet & Clank, the new one. Because the PlayStation 5 has such fast load times, in that game, characters are constantly warping in and out of completely different worlds with no loading time, seamlessly warping between massively different environments. And I think if the Switch 2 has the technology that allows for this seamless transportation into environments with no loading times, that could be the next Mario Kart. Lap Hmm. 1, you're in one world. Lap 2, you're suddenly transported into another track that looks Hmm. completely different. You could stitch together multiple courses to make one race. Hmm. I I think that's a possible option. That was something I was thinking about the other day. 
Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Because right now, I think there are 96 courses in Mario Kart 8. If you count the deluxe courses and also the booster course pass, you know, you might think, okay, well, is the next Mario Kart going to have over 96 courses? And it might. So that's what kind of led me to the track editor idea where, okay, what's bigger than 96? How about technically infinity if people keep making courses? But your idea of also kind of taking existing courses and kind of remixing them like that, where, okay, lap one is Baby Park, and then suddenly lap two, you're warped to Mount Wario, for example. That would be pretty exciting. And I think it would keep a lot of people on their toes. And a good way to kind of mix the best parts of certain tracks and focus on that. There was a similar kind of feature in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which I think a lot of people don't really use, and it kind of gets forgotten about, where stages could morph mid, mid-match. mid But I think hmm. this idea would work better in Mario Kart. Hmm. And I would, yeah, I would just love to see that, personally. All right, Dale, share prediction number two. Yep. Next prediction is a little bit, ties a little bit back into what I was talking about with Donkey Kong, and it's a little bit tangential from games themselves. But I think we're going to see more expansion of IP into movies and TV. We've already seen the Mario movie, which was one of, if not the most successful movie this year. And there was Nintendo's recent announcement of The Legend of Zelda live action movie that's coming. And in general, it's just been a good time for adaptations of games. You had The Last of Us TV series, also very well received. We've got a Fallout series on the horizon for Mm. next year. Not direct adaptations of games, but we also had Tetris and Gran Turismo, which were also quite well received. And what all of these properties have in common is that all of these adaptations have involved the original creator of the games. And I think that's partially why they are so successful, having people on the creative side that know these worlds and characters intimately. And considering their financial success, Next year, we're just going to hear so much more about movie and TV adaptations of games. The age of the superhero movie is over. We are Mm. now in the age of the video game movie. Do you have any predictions about what specifically they could announce next year? Obviously, we're going to get a Mario sequel. Yeah. Mario Mario 2, Bowser's Revenge, or whatever it's called. And I think we will, as I said, the year of Donkey Kong, I think a Donkey Kong spinoff movie is inevitable too. Hmm. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong makes sense as a lead character, not only a side character. You've got the entire world of the Donkey Kong universe to build upon. We had cameos of Diddy Kong and Dixie Kong and Swanky Kong in the Mario movie. So I I think those two are a certainty. Knowing that Illumination is owned by Universal, the same company that has no problems with putting out a Fast and the Furious movie every other year. I think they are going to be pressuring Nintendo hard to make more and more adaptations of games. So I think it's inevitable. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the next wave because Mario was such a huge success. One IP I would like to see used as maybe like a Netflix series or Disney Plus series is Pikmin, especially based on the Pikmin shorts. Have you ever seen the Pikmin shorts on YouTube? I've seen those. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, and those bring in massive massive numbers if you filter Mm. by most views especially on the japanese nintendo account i believe the most viewed video ever is maybe one of the pikmin shorts and has tens of millions of views if you've never seen these listeners they are very short four or five minute videos and the pikmin they're on an adventure or there's some problem or they're doing some puzzle solving but it has no dialogue of course because the pikmin can't talk olimar is not in it or none of the other human characters are in it it's just a pikmin so it can cross borders. It's similar to maybe Sean the Sheep or Mr. Bean 
in that it's super popular with kids from all over the world because you don't need to know a specific language to enjoy it. It's all done through physical comedy or physical action. So I think taking that and expanding it to even like a 15-minute or 20-minute show where it's depicting and they're in nature and they're doing fun things, maybe with very little dialogue or almost no dialogue, I think it would be a popular show on streaming services, especially since there's a lot of kid-oriented programming on these streaming services that are pretty popular. That's a fantastic idea. And this this year, Pikmin has been incredibly successful, not just with Pikmin 4, but I'm sure you remember in the middle of summer, we had Pikmin billboards everywhere, and we've had yes. the, the Pikmin What's This game that plays on yes. monitors on the train. That's quite fun. I like watching those on the commute. And yeah, like you said, it's ripe for serialization it, it reminds me of the rabbits series also hmm. cute characters that don't talk so yeah potential is there yeah the pikmin ip can only grow from here on out so i think that's yeah perfect for an adaptation so my second prediction it is tying in directly with your previous one but i am going to be very specific here i think there will be a splatoon movie announcement in 2024 not the movie coming out in 2024 but i think that nintendo will say we are working on a splatoon movie in 2024. I do think it will be animated. I can't really see them going to another studio to make it since they are so tied in with Illumination. And Chris Melisandre, I forget his name. Miyamoto always calls him. Yes. Miyamoto always calls him Chris San. So yeah. I always think of him as Chris San. But uh, since Chris San is on the board of Nintendo, I don't think they will step out of the Illumination world and go to another uh, animation studio. So I definitely think Illumination will eventually make a Splatoon movie. And I think it could be announced next year. Splatoon is definitely their most popular quote-unquote new IP, an IP that they've made in the past 10 years or so. Mario, Zelda, Animal Crossing, they're all from the 80s, the 2000s. But Splatoon is a big hit, especially with the younger generation, and especially in Japan. I think a Splatoon movie announcement would be really huge, not only in Japan, but I think it would be popular overseas. And I think it is a great world to explore in a movie. You might have to think about the story a little bit because the story mode and also the multiplayer are kind of different entities. And if you make a movie, you do want to blend them in a bit more together. So they do need to do a little work when it comes to that. But I think it would definitely be an awesome animated movie. The visual style and the music and art of Splatoon, it's just so amazing. It would be perfect for a really high budget animated movie. So I definitely think a Splatoon movie will be announced in 2024. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I hadn't even considered a Splatoon adaptation, and that's because we're old school. I think of Donkey Kong because that was my mm. childhood. That's what I want. But yeah, the young people here, especially in Japan, the kids, they absolutely adore and love Splatoon. Same with Animal Crossing too. Even a serialized or a feature-length adaptation of Animal Crossing, for the same reasons you said about Splatoon, could happen. I love the idea of Splatoon more. And I think they can actually make the story work. When you play the story modes and DLC of Splatoon 2 and Splatoon 3, there are all these nuggets of lore, and I would love mm. to see that explored in a feature film. I think it would be a, an incredibly fun experience. Yeah, the Splatoon games, the single-player story, it is kind of a trilogy within itself. Each one does build upon the previous story. It's not mm. like they're all totally separated. And the Splatoon 3's conclusion, I think that's a pretty good conclusion of a trilogy, a lot of stuff is wrapped up pretty neatly. So I think even if they kind of copied, movie one is the Splatoon 1 story mode story. Movie two is the Splatoon 2 story mode story. I think that would still be pretty entertaining as a movie. So I'm definitely looking forward to, hopefully, a Splatoon movie announcement in 2024. 
Hmm. So, Dale, your third prediction. Go ahead and share it with us. Yep, third prediction is about Pokemon. We're going back mm. to Unova. <laughs> yeah, as we're going to talk more about Indigo Disc later, but that game does take place in Unova. The Blueberry Academy is in yes. Unova itself. The music has a lot of references to the black and white soundtrack. It could be hinting at something, but even hinting or not hinting, I think it's likely. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl almost one-to-one remakes of Diamond and Pearl were still quite successful, made by a secondary studio. Mm. Wouldn't surprise me to see remakes done in the same way. Call it, I don't know, Pokemon Dark Black and Bright White or something silly like (laughs) that. But what I would love to see is a Legends-style game set in the Unova Mm. region. Whether it's called Legends or not, I would still love something that style, as Unova is based on the continental United States, specifically the New York area, believe yeah Yeah. so taking the american theme i would love to have another prequel of like legends arceus Mm. and maybe considering it's the usa go for a wild west theme that's Mm. what i want to (laughs) see i don't know how familiar our listeners are with the lore of black and white but the three legendaries reshiram kuram and zekrom they're often talked about as originally being one pokemon Mm, so perhaps that could be the legendary of the game Mm explore that have an adorable wild west setting show us some things we've never seen before yeah, that's what i want to see <laughs> whether or not we get that remains to be seen but i think a return trip to unova is coming soon yeah there's definitely a lot of unova imagery and hints in the indigo disc it takes place in unova kind of really for no reason there's no real purpose yeah. of why it's in unova but there's just so many callbacks to unova in the dlc it is the next game that is going to be remade they've already done generation four what's after four five so black and white is either a remake people are saying that it might be black and white three for example maybe even a sequel to black and white two and yeah pokemon legends it did sell pretty well until they announced generation nine and then the sales of arceus kind of were cut off by its legs but maybe they won't do it this time where they announce a new pokemon generation a month after a pokemon game comes out but I think Legends was definitely very well received amongst the Pokemon fan base. I personally love it. So I would love to see more from the Legends. And I kind of do want them to go back to maybe Johto for a Legends game. But there's no real reason for them to do that except to make me happy. So I think Legends Unova is definitely on the table. And yeah, Wild West setting would be cool. Even though New York is not really the Wild yeah, West. Not, per se. It? Yeah. But they could just just pretend New York is the Wild West. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can make up whatever. I like the idea about, oh, yeah, they were one Pokemon. So if you wanted to expand upon that idea, do it in the Legends game. And just one more note about any Pokemon game that comes out in 2024. It will not be for Switch 2. It'll be, still be for the Switch. I can't. Mm, yeah. Pokemon is always late at catching up to current generation hardware. So even if the Switch 2 comes out by the end of 2024, any new Pokemon games will still be on the Switch. It'll be nice if the Switch 2 is backwards compatible and can play it. But Mm. yeah, if it's coming out, it's definitely a Switch game, not a Switch 2 game. I think a lot of people maybe forgot what happened with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, where it was 2017 and there were definitely rumors of Pokemon Stars. Do you remember Pokemon Stars? Oh, I remember that, yeah. (laughs) Well, it was a rumor by Eurogamer that said they're working on a Switch version of Sun and Moon either, I guess, the quote-unquote third version of Sun and Moon for the Switch called Pokemon Stars. 
And so there's a lot of people expecting that the third version of Sun and Moon will be released on the Switch. And earlier that year, Monster Hunter Generations, there was a 3DS version and a Switch version. And you can actually communicate between them. So a lot of people were kind of suspecting that, oh, it might mimic Monster Hunter a little bit where maybe there's stars on 3DS, but also a Switch stars game. But then all of a sudden they just announced Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon only for 3DS. And a lot of people were mad, but it still sold pretty well and everyone got over it. So I think history might repeat itself again. I think so too. Yeah, you just reminded me of the Star Fox Grand Prix rumor around the same oh, yes. time. <laughs> <laughs> so my third prediction, I think there will be a new IP from an EPD team in 2024. By EPD, I mean Nintendo proper, Nintendo's internal development teams. So on the Switch, we didn't really have a whole lot of new IP from Nintendo EPD. We had ARMS and we had Ring Fit Adventure. And maybe Astral Chain also counts because Nintendo published that, but that was developed by Platinum, not by the internal team at Nintendo. So we were a bit light on quote-unquote new IP in the Switch era. They mostly focused on kind of taking their existing IP and bringing it to the next level, such as Pikmin, such as Kirby, such as Zelda, taking what sells maybe a few million and then making it sell more than a few million. But with new hardware, I definitely think you need some sort of eye-catching IP, some sort of game that they couldn't make on the Switch and then show it to a new audience, which is what they kind of did with ARMS. ARMS really used a lot of the Switch's features, such as the motion controls, the HD rumble, and other features like that. So I think having some sort of similar idea to ARMS where it's a brand new IP that is a bit more reliant on the technology of Switch 2, I definitely think we will see a new IP from EPD in 2024. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I would... New IPs are more than welcome, not just from Nintendo, but any publisher. Even though 2023 was a fantastic year for gaming, all of the big games that we enjoyed are all from pre-existing IP. And that is nice, but I would still love more surprises, more things we've never seen before. And for a, on a Switch successor, I think that's fantastic, something that does show off what that new console can do, and that is only possible. Going back to what I was saying earlier was the seamless loading of consoles that Sony mm. has been pushing with the PlayStation 5. I would love it if that was the Switch 2's gimmick, no loading times, and seeing what Nintendo can do with that. I can imagine a Mario game where Mario is warping in and out of wor worlds very quickly, but perhaps that could be used as the basis of a new IP, however they choose to come up with a game. Yeah, I think Nintendo, even though ARMS was not a huge success, it still sold about 2 million or so copies, which is not bad for a brand new IP on new hardware. And I think they need a game similar to show that, okay, we're Nintendo, we have a ton of established IPs, but we aren't risk adverse when it comes to making something new. Yeah, you could show another Mario that would look awesome, that will definitely sell Switch 2s. You could show Mario Kart 9 or 10 or X or whatever it's called, and that would definitely move a lot of units. But I still think they need that extra element of freshness. So people who are playing Switch and who are comfortable with it see something that can't be done on Switch a totally new idea, and then they jump over to the Switch 2. Hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. A good example of that was Ring Fit Adventure, a brand new IP, as we mentioned, but it did do something that we'd never seen before. Right. Similar to ARMS, using the Joy-Con as a standalone thing connected to something else. I've got it. They're going to come up with controllers for your feet, and it's going to be called hmm. ARMS 2 Legs. But jokes aside, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't really want to see any risky and something too risky and too crazy like that. Mm. Yeah. 
All right, Dale, share your fourth prediction. Okay, fourth prediction is until the Switch 2 comes out, Nintendo are going to play it very safely. And we've already seen this. We've already seen remasters and remakes coming. We just had Super Mario RPG. We've got Paper Mario next year. Luigi's Mansion 2. I think next year we're going to see a lot of remakes and remasters, Mm -hmm. similar towards the end of um, the 3DS era and whatever. I think it's going to be a pretty off year for Nintendo themselves in the dying days of the Switch leading up to the Switch 2. Certain positives come with that. I think we'll see a lot of anticipated games re-releasing and getting remastered for the Switch. I have a few examples. I think the most likely is probably Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. Hmm. Those have HD remasters ready to go. People have been begging for these for a long time. I think we'll finally see those. I'd love to see Metroid Prime 2 and 3. Metroid Prime Remastered was just an incredible remake. I would love to see the second and third part join it on the Switch. Mm -hmm. There are some other Wii U games we still haven't had, like Yoshi's Woolly World, Xenoblade Chronicles X, Star Fox Zero. As much as I dislike Star Fox Zero, that that could be nice as as a late Switch one. But the one that I want the most, and I think is somewhat likely, is Kirby Triple Deluxe and Kirby Planet Robobot. Earlier this year, we had... Kirby Return to Dreamland remastered for the Switch. And that was a fantastic remaster. I love the art mm. style. It translated very well. I love the extra content that they added. And from what I understand, Triple Deluxe and Robobot were built on the same engine as Return to Dreamland. So mm. I think and I think it could be possible to remaster them, port them to the Switch in the same style as Return to Dreamland Deluxe, add a bit more extra content and that would just do very well. We get Kirby games constantly, so why not another one? Robobot is probably my favorite Kirby game of mm. all time. Like I love the Kirby series. I would love to see that on the Switch. I would love to see it remastered in HD. Personally, that's what I want, and I think it's quite likely. Yeah, I definitely think that we've already seen it even this year a bit. There are definitely a lot of remakes and remasters, even in 2023. We had the Advance Wars remake. We had the Kirby remake. We had the Pikmin uh, remasters that came to the Switch, Super Mario RPG, which is probably the biggest remake. There was no lack of remakes in 2023, but I definitely think that's going to continue in 2024. We've had four games announced for Nintendo Switch in 2024, and three of them are remakes. The only new one being Princess Peach Showtime. So I definitely think they won't be alone in the remake category for 2024. I like your idea for the Kirby games. Planet Robot is also my favorite Kirby game. It's just an excellent game. And it did come out kind of late in the 3DS's lifespan in 2016. A lot of people were kind of checked out by that point, but it still sold pretty well enough. But that is an excellent game. And I think a lot of people haven't played it yet, but it is an awesome, awesome game. My favorite Kirby game. Do you think Fire Emblem 4? Is that a possible remake for 2024? Yeah, that's a good point. If it's not Fire Emblem 4, I can totally see something Fire Emblem happening. It reminds me of Fire Emblem Echoes being released on the 3DS after the Switch had already launched. Mm. Yeah, if it's not that, it would be something else. Fire Emblem is always likely. As sure as the sun will rise, Nintendo will keep pushing Fire Emblem. (laughs) So I'd be happy to see it. I love Fire Emblem. I love Fire Emblem Engage. Wasn't as good as Three Houses. I don't know how well it sold. Did it do well, Mm. Fire Emblem Engage? It seems to be doing okay, but Three Houses definitely sold more. Three Houses oh, yeah. is around 4 million, and Engage, I think, is hovering around the 2 million mark. So definitely a drop. It still sold a few million, which is pretty good for Fire Emblem. Yeah, 
I would love to see Fire Emblem 4. I haven't played the original, so it would be great. Hmm. My fourth prediction is, again, it's kind of tying in with yours. I think we will get another 3DS remaster. So I was definitely thinking that maybe Triple Deluxe and Planet Robobot might show up on Switch as well. I would definitely pick Robobot out of those, but I haven't played Triple Deluxe. But the concept of Robobot is definitely more eye-catching and exciting to people who have never heard of either. We have Luigi's Mansion 2 coming out next year. There's actually quite a lot of great 3DS titles that you could probably up-res well enough and then sell them on the Switch for full price or almost full price. I think the White Whale is Kid Icarus Uprising, something that many people have wanted even back in the Wii U days. They were begging for a Wii U port because if you've never played Kid Icarus Uprising, it has a very particular control scheme that would really benefit from two joysticks. And they even sold a weird contraption that you could stick to your 3DS to play it with two joysticks. But having a HD version of it where you can just use your Pro Controller or use the Joy-Cons would be really exciting. And I think that game came out when? Over 10 years ago, I want to say by now? So Yeah, 2011, I think. Oh, wow. That's a whole new generation of Nintendo gamers who have never touched that game. They only know Pit from Smash Brothers. And I think it would be a great time to release it. I think I'm definitely leaning a bit more towards the Kirby games and Kid Icarus Uprising. Because as we all know, Kirby is the harbinger of death to a console. He's the last one showing up to the party, and he says, okay, you can finally rest a 3DS in 2019 when Epic Garden came out. And also on the Wii, when the Kirby Dream Collection came out, and I want to say 2012, and that laid that console to rest. So Switch cannot end until Kirby says it can. I wouldn't be surprised if in 2026, there's a Planet Robobot remaster only on the Switch, but we'll see. Yeah, as for Kid Icarus Uprising... Don't do that. Don't give me hope. <laughs> I would I would love to see that. Yeah, I was back in Australia earlier this year and I rescued my copy of Kid Icarus Uprising for the 3DS because I am planning to play that when I get some time. I've I've played that through about four times. Despite the controls, Ooh. I do love that game. <laughs> I would love to see it up on the Switch with a more yeah. comfortable control scheme. I mean, we mm. had the Skyward Sword remaster, which did so much for that game in giving it a more comfortable control scheme. I would hope they could do the same with Kid Icarus. Yeah, exactly. And Skyward Sword on Switch, it sold more than Skyward Sword did on Wii. So it's almost like a brand new release if you just take an old game that a lot of people didn't play and re-release it on the Switch. I'm a Sakurai acolyte. I love all of his Mm -hmm. games. But for me, Kid Icarus Uprising, when I played it, I got kind of nauseous for whatever reason. And also the controls were a little finicky. So I've only played about an hour of this game because there's some games that just make me a little nauseous and I don't know exactly why, but this is one of them. So I've always been wanting an HD version so I can just sit down on my couch and play it. It would be almost like a new game to me because I don't really remember it so much. So that's definitely a game I'm looking forward to. I think you're definitely not in the minority there. I think a lot of people have either wanted to play it and have been turned off because of all of these comments about the controls and motion sickness because i totally know what you mean there's a lot of flying around in that especially in the early parts of that game i feel like i can't play it for more than an hour at a time Mm. i have to put it down and walk away a bit a remaster that makes it a more comfortable experience would be great for those of us who are returning or are curious and yeah like you said for most people it's a completely brand new game all right dale share your final prediction for nintendo in 2024 final prediction well related to the switch 2 and what launch game could come with the Switch 2. We had Zelda at launch with the Switch. I think for Switch 2, it's Mario's turn. We'll have Mario Mm -hmm. at launch, and it'll be 
either a direct sequel or a spiritual sequel to Super Mario Odyssey. Hmm. So by spiritual sequel, what do you mean by that? Do you think it'll be in one open world or will it still be the zones? I think it will still be zones. While hmm. the the open world experiment in Bowser's Fury was nice, I would like to see some elements of that translated into a new Mario game, like the stackable power-ups that you can keep in, in your inventory. I loved that. Hmm. I would love to see that in a mainline Mario game. But honestly, I just can't imagine a Mario game without segmented levels and environments. Hmm. The, the whole Rift Apart idea that's on the table, transporting between them. But if it's not Mario Odyssey 2, I think it will bring back Cappy and at least be in the same style. There's a lot they can do with that. An idea I had was Super Mario Multiverse, where Mario visits a whole bunch of different dimensions and environments, and maybe he can jump into a Kirby world for one for one level and then come mm. back. So I'd love to see other Nintendo games referenced in Mario. I don't know how, how our listeners feel about that. But yeah, I love Odyssey 2. I think it's one of the best games in the sw- on the Switch. I think we were robbed of DLC. I totally expected we were going to get it in the same way we got it for Breath of the Wild. Hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were working on DLC and they decided to turn it into a full game like they did with Mario Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong about that. But I- I'm pretty sure that team has a lot of ideas left over from Mario Odyssey and they've just decided to save it for the Switch too. I think it's been done for some time, and they've been waiting for the the next hardware to release it. Nintendo is definitely no stranger when it comes to launching hardware with Mario. And even though Switch did not launch with Mario, it still came pretty close to launch within mm. the next few months. We just had a brand new Zelda. But it's been quite a while for a new 3D Mario. The last one was Odyssey. There's definitely been a long, long gap. If you were four when Odyssey came out, you're what? You're 10 now? So oh, wow. you're ready for a new Mario game. Uh, a lot of people are jumping to like the, oh, it'll be one open world, similar to the Bowser's Fury mode, which I wouldn't be opposed to. I do love open world games, but I don't think they would make it open world just to make it open world. I'm sure that they have some sort of interesting idea for the next 3D Mario game. I would like it to be something that really wows me in terms of, I see it and then I realize well, this cannot be done on the Switch. It has to be on Switch 2, which is something that they need to really emphasize when they announce their software lineup for the next Switch successor. Because a lot of people, they're pretty content with their Switch. There's thousands of games on it. You could probably be happy for the rest of your life just playing all the games that are released on the Switch right now. And maybe you don't need a new piece of hardware. So I think they really need to go hard and try to get people to move over from the Switch to this new hardware. And Mario... He's probably bigger than ever, if you think about it, with the movie Mm. and the games are selling so well. So having a really impressive 3D game that blows everyone's mind, I think is definitely really important for the Switch 2. Especially if the Switch 2 is more graphically capable than ever before. I I wonder if you and our listeners remember in the first Mario Odyssey, where you finally see the realistic dragon. When I first got to that, I was just wowed because there was a level of detail in that one character that we'd never seen in Mario. And he almost looks a bit out of place being a cute cartoon character next to this realistic dragon. I think go even harder on that next time. Show us some Mario environments that have just never been possible until this point. I'm definitely looking forward to whatever they announce. There's definitely a lot of room for imagination there. So my final prediction, I think Monolith Soft will reveal a non 
Xenoblade RPG. I don't know if it will come out in 2024, but they will at least announce it. They've been working on Xenoblade for over a decade now. They've released Xenoblade 3 last year. They had the Xenoblade 3 DLC this year. They had Xenoblade 2. They had the the first game's remaster. They've been in the, I don't want to say Xenoblade Mines, but they've been working on Xenoblade for a long, long time. And I think Xenoblade, while not done, I think it's maybe time to put it on the back burner for a little bit and move on to something else. Because I haven't played the DLC, or I haven't played Xenoblade 3 at all. But a lot of people seem to be satisfied with the DLC's conclusion, in that it kind of wraps up everything in the Xenoblade-verse. Or, I'm sure there's still more Xenoblade games you could make, but it seems to have a pretty satisfying and definitive conclusion. If they announce Xenoblade 4, how many people are going to be excited? I don't think a lot of people will jump into the series with Xenoblade 4. So I think a brand new IP from Monolith Soft would be really exciting for new hardware, especially if it is an RPG. I don't think they need to make a racing game or anything. Keeping with their RPG roots, I think would be really smart. Maybe make it a fantasy setting or a non-sci-fi setting would be quite exciting. And people who heard that Monolith Soft is really amazing as a developer, but I don't want to just jump into Xenoblade 3 or it looks a little confusing or I'm not really into the aesthetic. I think having a brand new IP from Monolith Soft on new hardware, exclusive to new hardware, would be really exciting. And it would definitely get a lot of new people who maybe aren't into their games interested in whatever their next game might be. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it's inevitable, another RPG for Monolith Soft. I am someone who loves Xenoblade. I've played all of the games. The Xenoblade Hmm. 3 Future Redeemed DLC was one of the best DLC expansions I've ever played. Hmm. There's so much value in there. And it does definitively wrap up the storyline. However, mm. it does contain hints to another game that the creator of Monolith Soft worked on, Xeno Gears, I want to say. Yes. So a lot of people who have played the ending of Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed, there's something that ties it into Xeno Gears. So a lot of people are speculating a Xeno Gears remake is on the horizon. Mm. While that's also quite possible. However, I would I much prefer your idea of a new RPG from Monolith Soft. However, I think it will be Xeno something. Mm. It won't it won't be Xenoblade. It won't be a new installment in that universe. It might be ten, tangentially related to it, but I think it will be Xeno something else. Oh, interesting. Because we've had Xeno Gears, Xeno Saga, Xeno Blade. I think the same creative team, they will come up with something new but it will keep that branding and keep that familiarity that people have with the franchise and it will be Xeno something else. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. They could totally change the setting or the aesthetic or whatever, but it still might have Xeno no matter what, just because of the branding. It's still, you want to get the new audience, but you also want to get those Xenoblade fans in there as well. I think a Xeno Gears remake would be really awesome. That's another kind of white well remake that a lot of people have wanted. Square has the rights to Xeno Gears. So it's not like Nintendo can really uh, nearly okay. remake it. But hey, Super Mario RPG was remade. And that's another game that for a long time, people were kind of wondering, why is Square holding on to it and not doing anything with it? Why can't Nintendo just do it? But they did come to an agreement. And that game was selling pretty well, and a lot of people loved it. So I think a Gears remake, I don't know if it would be exclusive to the Switch. It might mm-hmm. be like Live Alive, where it debuts on Switch first, and then it comes to PC or other hardware later. Uh, but I think it would be cool to have a brand new IP from Monolith Soft 
And then, depending on how well that sells, you could always go back to Xenoblades. You could make Xenoblade X a port on the Switch 2. It's just there, sitting on the Wii U. It's got to be freed from the Wii U eventually. So I think you could easily make, okay, brand new IP, and then if you need a gap filler, put X or a Gears remake in there as well. So I definitely think we'll see a lot from Monolith Soft in the Switch 2 era. I think so. It has it has to be said that they've been one of the best developers in the whole Switch era. Xenoblade 3 looks and runs fantastically. That's probably the game that pushes the Switch to its absolute max of what it's capable mm. of. I would say more than Tears of the Kingdom. Some of the battle animations in that are so fluid and so look so good. It's absolute wizardry how they managed to get it out of the Switch. So I, I think they've been an incredible developer in this era, and I would love to see what they do next. So those are our predictions for Nintendo in 2024. But let's have a bonus lightning round. Ooh. Dale, I'm going to give you some rapid-fire questions, and you say yes or no regarding whether or not the prediction will come true in 2024. So, Dale, are you ready? Ready. Okay, number one, Nintendo's Switch successor will have Switch in the name. Yes, I think it would be so stupid to to get rid of that branding. It's been so successful. Switch 2, Super Switch, new Switch, whatever. It has to have Switch, as long as it's not Switch U. <laughs> I'm also going yes with this one. Number two, Nintendo will keep red as the logo color scheme for the next hardware. Yes, absolutely. It's their color. Mm. Yeah, it is funny when you go to a game store. It is very laid out where, okay, red is Nintendo, blue is Sony, green is Xbox. I, I think they might add in another color, though, maybe like red and black. Mm. or red and gold, to make it a little more distinct. So when you see it, okay, it's not just a Switch. It's Switch 2. Number three, there will be a new Pokemon revealed next year that's not in Scarlet and Violet. By Pokemon, I mean a creature. Absolutely. If it's for a Unova game, especially a Legend-style game, there'll be some new ones, and we will definitely see regional forms of previous Pokemon. Hmm. Okay, do you remember the Pokemon Clink, the one that looks like Gears? Yes, that will that will get a regional form, and it will be bronze, and it will look like the oh. gears you'd find in a pocket watch because to match the Wild West setting, oh, like a ste- <laughs> like a steampunk, yeah, like steampunk, <laughs> and it will have a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, Nintendo will have a weird name for a Switch Two feature, a la HD Rumble. HD Rumble is a weird name. I suppose it is. I think so um, because how can Rumble be in high definition? That's a. Now that you've mentioned that, yeah, I see it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Nintendo's no stranger to doing weird things. Bring it on, I say. The weirder, the better. Mm. And the last one, this is kind of an easy one. There will be some sort of Kirby game in 2024. Yes, as we've already talked about. I'd love to see a 3D one. We had mm. Kir- Kirby in the Forgotten Land. How about Kirby in the Ancient Kingdom? We travel mm. back in time and there's it's Kirby with dinosaurs. That's my dream. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised we didn't get another Kirby game in 2023. We had Return the Dreamland Deluxe, but I was definitely expecting some sort of eShop exclusive game or just whatever. But maybe Kirby is resting. He's uh, gaining some power to come back in 2024. Mm. So those were our predictions for Nintendo in 2024. Now Dale is going to stay with us as we transition to the last big Nintendo release of 2023, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, The Hidden Treasure of Area Zero, Part 2, The Indigo Disc, a name that just rolls off the tongue. It's the last piece of DLC for 2022's Pokemon Scarlet and Violet from Game Freak. It came out a few weeks ago. I've cleared it. You've cleared it. So let's talk about it. Before we dig into the DLC, what is your relationship with Scarlet and Violet? 
relationship is maybe a bit dramatic, but what are your thoughts on the base game of Scarlet and Violet? Scarlet and Violet, such a one of the most contentious releases of the Switch era. I love the concept. I think it's a 10 out of 10 concept. Hmm. Pokemon goes open world. There's a lot of good here. I love the idea of open world and finally we've got it. Battles are quite getting more and more streamlined than ever before, not as much as Legends Arceus, unfortunately, but it is very fun. And I love the story as well. If you Hmm. compare Scarlet and Violet to Sword and Shield, Scarlet and Violet is just better in in almost every way. Hmm. You have an open world, you've got more difficulty and challenge, you've got more freedom, you've got an actual interesting story with a lot of hidden lore that is actually fun to uncover. So I do love Scarlet and Violet, however, it is let down significantly by its performance issues. The world itself looks horrible, there's no (laughs) other way to say it, and I remember this year I went back to Xenoblade Chronicles 3 for the DLC. I went to Tears of the Kingdom. Both of those games look fantastic on the Switch, push the Switch to its maximum. And then popping in Pokemon Scarlet after, it feels like going blind. It's <laughs> it's night and day the difference. So higher quality of game game performance and environmental beauty than what we got. So in short, it's a 10 out of 10 concept with a 5 out of 10 execution. I definitely agree with a lot of your points where open world Pokemon is also one of my dreams. And yeah, it is open world Pokemon, and there's so many fun things about that. There was just some sort of game decisions that I didn't agree with or that it didn't really hit. So it kind of felt like a lesser version of what I've always wanted. And the performance also, when I was playing the game, I was mostly focused on kind of the structure of the game, which I think is really cool because you can really do things out of order, which is really exciting. I think that's something they totally nailed is that, oh, you can do... The gym's out of order. There's also other tasks that you can focus on instead. I think a lot of the stuff from Arceus was just so brilliant, but a lot of it is not in Scarlet and Violet. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of disappointing to go from that to this, where it kind of feels like we're taking some steps back. And I can overlook poor performance, but eventually it does get to you, especially the menus and opening boxes and things like that, that really tax on the seconds, the minutes, the hours. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is so fun, but I'm also very befuddled by some of the decisions, not just in terms of performance, but also mm. some of the gameplay decisions. So it is like this weird mixed bag where I played so much of it. I played dozens of hours of it, but it's kind of hard to recommend to somebody who's maybe not into Pokemon. If they say, oh, I've never played a Pokemon game. Should I get Scarlet and Violet? I would say mm, maybe it's kind of hard to recommend definitively, but there's a lot of good in there. And it got some DLC, so let's dig into that. What surprised you most about the newest piece of DLC, the Indigo Disc? What surprised me most? I thought how much value there is in there, especially mm. if compared to the DLC of Pokemon Sword and Shield. Pokemon Sword and Shield's DLC was a little bit subpar. I felt there was not that much in there. But they did so much better this time around. There's more new Pokemon. There's a lot more to do. The story content is actually engaging, and it completely ties a bow on the overall narrative of Scarlet and Violet itself. So I think they really nailed it in terms of value. It is an extension of Scarlet and Violet for better and worse. It doesn't fix any of the performance issues, but right. you still get the increased challenge. You still get lots lots to do and you get some great story content. The thing that surprised me the most was how cool the terrarium was. 
the mm-hmm. main concept of the Indigo Disc, you go to a new school in Unova, which we mentioned earlier, and under the school is a terrarium where there are four distinct environments where Pokemon live. So you can think of it kind of like a giant safari zone almost. There's an ice zone, there's a beach zone, there's a savanna or plain zone, and each of them have very specific Pokemon, many of them new to Scarlet and Violet. So a lot of the Pokemon that you couldn't bring in earlier, you can finally catch or bring in this time around. It kind of encapsulizes the exploration and catching aspects of Pokemon. It is like its own region, but really shrunk down. What did you think of the terrarium concept? Honestly, when the terrarium concept was announced and shown for the first time, I hated it. I thought, (laughs) what a terrible idea. And I didn't like that the areas were called biomes, because if you've Mm. ever played Minecraft, that's what areas are called. Mm. And coupled with all of those blocky protrusions that are just randomly sprinkled around the terrarium, I felt like, is the Pokemon company targeting minecraft fans that's that's (laughs) what i felt it felt like a little bit minecrafty but once i started playing it it really grew on me i i do like that it is something new something completely different we've never seen before and it is fun it's another great big open area with lots to do and there's something fun and unique from going from an icy world at one minute to a tropical world the next and then a desert Mm. world it is something we've never seen in pokemon before and yeah like you said i was also reminded of the safari zone or the great marsh which is a plus. That's something that's been missing from Pokemon for a while. Yeah. So I did come around on the idea of the terrarium. I did enjoy it. Yeah. When I was playing it, I thought this is what the wild area of Sword and Shield should have been uh, because the wild area is like this really random mishmash of different sections. And you walk one step and then you're suddenly in a sandstorm and you walk back one step (laughs) and you're suddenly in a lake area. And so it was really confusing about where you are or why things are happening. But here, it makes more sense logically. And each area is separated by these weird white blocks. They are quite distinct. As another big Safari Zone fan, to have something similar to that is kind of cool. Although I do like the rules of the Safari Zone. But this one is a bit more free. This is the second part of the DLCs. Which did you prefer more? The Till Mask or the Indigo Disc? I prefer the Indigo Disc a little bit more because it does wrap up the area zero storyline there are a a few hints of it in the teal mask but that's not to say i dislike the teal mask the teal mask is it's is a fun little side story Mm. that does introduce characters that become more important in the second part it's hard to say i prefer one over the other but i will say i prefer the indigo disc just because it gives us the terrarium which is something new and because it wraps up the area zero storyline Yeah, the Till Mask is really cool in concept where you're going to the Japanese countryside. I don't know why, because the game is supposed to take place in Spain, but a Japanese island is not so far away. I'm sure you have also been to the Japanese countryside, and they really nailed the atmosphere of the Inaka of Japan, the countryside of Japan. It's a really fun aesthetic, and there's a lot of Johto Pokemon in there as well, almost like a mini Johto DLC. With the Indigo Disc, I definitely think there's a lot more going on there in terms of I really love the Elite Four structure of the game. Till Mask definitely feels like one big side quest where you talk to person A, go talk to person B, go back to person A and talk to them. But here it's a bit more open in that you tackle the Elite Four. What did you think of the Elite Four challenge quest? I liked them, although I really did not like the sandwich mini game. <laughs> I thought <laughs> we're trainers who are giving us Pokemon in level level 70s, level 80s. And 
the the fire elite four member says oh you can only challenge me if you make a sandwich <laughs> it's just <laughs> something about that just struck me as not very epic not very exciting <laughs> i i never liked the sandwich making mini game before me this <laughs> and it had been it had been so long since i'd made a sandwich a, a, an entire year at this point so when i was doing the sandwich mini game i dropped a sausage so i had to start over again and i thought oh why have you wasted so much so much of my time building a, a sandwich but i liked the one where you could only use pokemon caught in the terrarium i yes. thought oh that's nice because i was just planning to bring in my mvps from pokemon home and just cheese my way through it through it as the npc says yes <laughs> so i i like i liked being restricted in that sense you can only use ones that you've caught in the terrarium that was probably yeah, the best of the four yeah i definitely agree that was my favorite of the four because it does kind of might knock you back a bit uh, because like you and i think a lot of other people okay this is the final dlc for pokemon and i'm just going to bring in my favorite pokemon and just go to town my level 100 greninja and just go crazy but then he's like hey what if you just brought in your super Pokemon? It wouldn't be fair, right? And I thought, well, this is like a an Undertale level fourth wall breaking experience that I wouldn't expect out of a Pokemon game. You have to make a, a team from scratch. So you're walking around the terrarium and thinking about, okay, what Pokemon would be good to bring into a battle? Sadly, the people you battle, they are pretty easy because they only have two Pokemon each. But it is, <laughs> it is kind of fun where it's like, okay, I caught these Pokemon and then I'm going into their move list and seeing I caught a Flygon. And he can remember this move. That's pretty cool. And, oh, I caught a Metagross. Metagross, he can learn the psychic attack if you dig into his uh, forgotten moves. So that part was pretty fun. Uh, and I thought all the Elite Four battles were fairly challenging. I thought the st- the Steel one was a bit more challenging than I expected. And oh, yeah. yet the, the Steel Girl is maybe my favorite. She has a really cool design. Some of them did make you make a sandwich, which I also did not do for a year. And I also do not like that mechanic at all. So <laughs> I was a little sad that it appeared again, but... That's kind of the final boss of sandwiches, if you think about it. You never have to do it ever again. I don't want any kind of food-making mechanic in the next <laughs> Pokemon game, but it's probably going to happen. We had curry in Sword and Shield. We had sandwiches in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Whatever region it's based on, we'll be mm. making that region's food. It's inevitable. Do you think it is a satisfying conclusion to Gen 9 of Pokemon? I think it's an 80% satisfying conclusion. Um, mm. In terms of story... I do like that the story is wrapped up emotionally, but some certain loose ends are still there. So mm. what that means is that Pokemon YouTube theorists on YouTube will still have a career because all the mysteries of Area Zero have not been resolved. There's still plenty to speculate on. But I, I did like that final epilogue when you, I won't spoil it for our listeners, when you go back to the pool, that was a nice way to wrap up that storyline. So I think the storyline is finished. In a nice way, but there's still some hmm. answers that I would have liked to have gotten. Yeah, I quite like the conclusion to the DLC-only story with Kieran and Carmine, where yes, I thought that was quite interesting because Kieran, he really liked this Pokemon, and then you take the Pokemon, and then he gets really mad at you, and he gets this crazy makeover. I didn't even recognize him when he showed up in the Indigo Disc, but he's really determined to be your rival. It's a good callback to the classic rivals who really just did not like you at all. So to have another one of those appear was a lot of fun. And that, that story did wrap up, although technically there's an epilogue that's coming out next year. There is a little bit more of the story left to the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet saga. The DLC only story was wrapped up pretty neatly. I like a lot of the characters in there that we were introduced to. The story for Scarlet and Violet as a whole, it is kind of weird that they named it the hidden treasure of Area Zero. And that's 
almost like an epilogue of the DLC story where all of a sudden, after you beat the Elite Four, they're like, oh, let's go to Area Zero. And spoiler, they didn't treasure it as a Pokemon. Who would have thought? The mythology around this Pokemon is not super well explained. And you have the Pokemon battle, which is kind of cool. But it's also like, okay, the Pokemon was here and then I battled it. But I still have a lot of questions. There's definitely a lot of loose threads or things that a lot of people could speculate about for years to, and years to come. Yeah, I agree with you. The The battle itself with that Pokemon was probably one of the most challenging and frustrating Pokemon battles I've ever experienced mm. in the entire series. It took me about four or five attempts to get past it, and I was so glad to be done with it. I found that that Pokemon really hard to overcome. But I agree what you said about the characters. I think the character work in Scarlet and Violet is the best character work Pokemon has ever done in a mainline mm. game. All of the rival characters in the main game have great arcs, and the two new characters, Carmine and Kieran, that were introduced in the DLC are an extension of that. They also have great arcs. I felt like, wow, there's a lot of stuff happening here that is quite emotional and relatable with Pokemon characters. Compared with Pokemon Sword and Shield, it's night and day. Pokemon Sword and Shield's storyline and characters, its I've completely forgotten what happened in that game. Penny, Arvin... Carmine and Kieran are just such great characters. So I'm mm. really impressed with the effort they put into character work in this generation. I I hope that continues in the next generation. And I hope that character work is enhanced with voice acting next time. What do you want to see from Generation 10? I would like to see it take place in an Asian region. Mm. We've had Japan four times. We've had the Americas twice. We've had Europe three times. I think it's time to go back to Asia. I would love to see a region based on China. Mm. And I think there are some hints towards seeing a Chinese region in a Pokemon game, both in the games themselves and in real life. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Of course, China, a very diverse region, a lot of history there. There's so many Pokemon you could make based off of Chinese animals or Chinese mythology. They could have another crack at a panda Pokemon, even though I do like the existing panda Pokemon quite a <laughs> lot. I think a lot of Pokemon fans would not complain if Generation 10 did not come out in 2025. And instead, they spent a bit more time working on that game, either mm -hmm. to polish up the performance a bit or maybe to add new features or whatnot. Would you recommend The Hidden Treasure of Area Zero to fans of Scarlet and Violet? There's a wider conversation to be had of whether or not this game is complete without it. I think Scarlet and Violet on its own is a complete experience, but this, this is definitely a worthwhile purchase. I feel like Sword and Shield's expansion pass was okay. This expansion pass feels a lot more necessary in a sense necessary in the fact that it wraps up the storyline but you are getting a lot of value here whether or not you care about the story i'm so glad we're getting dlc expansions over third versions it's it's nice to have something different it's nice to expand what you've already built on instead of having to start a new game so i would i would recommend it i think if you are a big fan of scarlet and violet i definitely think you will like the dlc as well if you do not like scarlet and violet I don't think this fixes any of the problems from Scarlet and Violet. And the performance also is not its not quite good either. It's not like they fixed the performance. It's definitely a lot more Scarlet and Violet. So if you love that game, I think you will like the DLC. They add a lot of cool things and they add a lot of Pokemon, both old returning classics and new Pokemon as well. Some things we didn't touch on, I guess we should mention real fast before we wrap up. The starters come back, uh, although 
it is kind of a pain to get them in the in the uh, actual terrarium because you've got to upgrade the terrarium with BP, uh, which is not battle points. It's blueberry points. How do you explain the blueberry points or the quest for the blueberry points? You just have to do very random tasks, like mm. pick up 10 items and you get points. Uh, honestly, I, I thought this was probably the least interesting, least engaging aspect of the DLC. I didn't really pay much attention to it. Yeah, they kind of remind me of dailies from life service games or the oh, nook points yeah. from Animal Crossing. Your points you get just by kind of playing the game, but every now and then you do kind of need to look at them and see what specifically they want you to do. There are some fun ones, like taking pictures of Pokemon, which I always appreciate, but some of them are walk 500 feet. And you do need quite a lot to upgrade the terrarium to unlock the starters to make them catchable, which is kind of weird because they did advertise the starters are in the terrarium quite heavily in the marketing, but you can't get them until probably the post game uh, because they are quite hard to get just naturally. Mm. But you could just be like me and just bring in your Venusaur from Pokemon Home and walk around with him. Oh, yeah. We also didn't talk about the Pokemon Sync feature where you can become your Pokemon. What do you think about that, Dale? That was fun. I would recommend syncing with, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Golden Go, the big gold, the Mm. coin Pokemon, because it's the closest Pokemon ever gets to being Tony Hawk's pro skater (laughs) because he he skates around on his little coin surfboard. It's it's a lot of fun. He can't jump, unfortunately, but it's Mm. it's really fun. It reminds me of shield surfing and Legend of Zelda, just going downhill with Golden Go. That's quite a fun experience. Yeah, this feature is totally pointless and has no reason to be in the game. And it probably took a lot of work to add it to the game, but it is kind of fun to be the Pokemon. I was Lugia, so it's fun to just fly around as Lugia. And when you go in the water, he swims like he does in the opening to Pokemon Gold and Silver. And I've seen some fun videos online, like Rayquaza looks really awesome. And I was Venusaur just kind of hopping around. Again, I don't know why they added this to the game, because you really just only fight Pokemon. You press Y and then it KOs the other Pokemon. But if you ever wanted to be a Pokemon, now is your chance. So I think we can wrap it up, Indigo Disc and our predictions. I loved having you on the podcast yet again, Dale. So where can other people find you? Yeah, please check out my YouTube channel, DPG, Dale Plays Games. I will have my own video on Indigo Disc and well, Hidden Treasure of Area Zero coming out very soon, as well as a top 10 games list of 2023. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Dale underscore DPG. Awesome. And the links to everything will be in the podcast description. So listeners, check it out. Dale, once again, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Today's feature is on Earthbound, aka Mother Pop-Up Shops. These are temporary stores that run for a few weeks that sell goods from Nintendo's cult hit Mother franchise. The podcast is certainly no stranger to talking about pop-up shops. They happen all the time here in Tokyo, and in fact, in the news section, I'm going to mention yet another one. They can be kind of hard to dedicate a whole feature segment to because they're time-limited and mostly straightforward. They just sell merch from the series. So sometimes there's not really a whole lot to discuss. But this feature is not going to be about one singular pop-up shop, but a whole slew of different ones all based on the Mother series. I've been to no less than three completely different Earthbound pop-up shops, each with their own theming and unique merch. You might be saying, whoa, were there really three Earthbound pop-up shops? No. In fact, there were many, many more. But sadly, I haven't been to every single one. But I'll do my best to give you the details on the ones I have been to. You might be wondering, why are there so many Earthbound pop-up shops? 
The series has been dormant for almost 20 years. There's only three games, and it didn't sell all that well. I would be shocked if all the Mother games and the re-releases have topped 2 million sales in total. A random Kirby game does that in its sleep. Despite this, the series is obviously much beloved and undeniably influential. I don't want to get into the entire history of Mother, because that's a podcast in itself. But the real answer about why Mother has maintained relevance in Japan is because of its creator, Shigesato Itoi, and specifically, his company, Hobonichi. Hobonichi originated as Hobonikan Itoi Shinbun, Itoi's personal blog. It has a very memorable URL, 1101.com. Due to its popularity, Itoi created a company centered around the website, one that's main focus is selling lifestyle goods. Its most famous creation is the Hobonichi Techo, a unique diary-slash-journal known for its creative layout and high-quality paper. I had one, and while I'm not really a journaling type of person, the format of the book does lend itself to stretching your creativity a bit. So Hobonichi is very much in the business of selling things. And what is their most famous IP, outside of Itoi himself? Earthbound, aka Mother. By the way, I'm just going to be using them interchangeably. Hobonichi is definitely not shy about making Earthbound merch, and even the aforementioned Hobonichi Techo has a special Earthbound-themed cover. I don't know the extent in which who owns what regarding the series. Itoi is listed in the copyright in Smash Brothers, for example, so it is some sort of co-ownership type of deal. Itoi clearly has a lot of leeway when it comes to merchandising. This really ramped up with the creation of the Hobonichi Mother Project, a subsite of Itoi's blog, which keeps people up to date about merchant events relating to Earthbound. The project was created in 2020, and since then, mother pop-up shops have been really abundant. Hobonichi also runs an event space on the 8th floor of the Shibuya Parko, home of Nintendo Tokyo, which gives ample space to sell some NES plushies. The first major pop-up shop under the Hobonichi Mother project was Mother no Omise, or just Mother Shop, in late 2020. This introduced a lot of new merch including posters, Mr. Saturn plushies, and a reprint of the Mother 2 Sukejon, which is a famous style of jackets in Japan. The jacket is highly highly sought after, and easily sells for thousands of dollars today. The reprint alone was priced at $800 a jacket. It does look neat, but not $800 neat. I did see it in person at Hashi, aka the secret Nintendo cafe I covered on the podcast, so go there if you want to lay your eyes on it. Outside of the jacket, a lot of the merch that appeared in this shop still appears in the newer Earthbound shops. They don't really cycle out merch, they just add on to it. This shop doesn't really have any specific decorations or theming, but they quickly learned that if you want to keep opening up pop-up shops, you need a hook. There was a cool little museum-like area that showed some old-school Earthbound merch, including some of the marketing material from the West. Maybe I'm confusing this with the completely different mother pop-up shop or event, but I want to say they also had things from the development of the games, like framed notes and script pages, which are always really amazing to see in person. The next pop-up shop was in 2021, titled Mother no Hiroba, or Mother's Square. Remember in Earthbound that area with all the merchants with their mats laid out? That's the theming for this shop, where the interior and tables are all green to mimic that section of the game. From here on out, shops have a very specific gimmick or theme, even if a lot of the merch is similar. And this time the merch ramped up big time, including the plushy magnets, more hats and shirts, keychains, pin badges, and the oh-so-important clear files. The badges and the files have the original graphics of the games and are a pretty nice yet cheap souvenir if you want to buy something. Another odd souvenir is a hotel key tag. I'm not sure how to explain this, but it looks like a tag you would get from a hotel, like your room number. And they're all themed about different cities in the Earthbound. So you have Onet, you have Tucson. Again, I'm not sure why people would want a hotel tag from Onet, but if you want it, it's there. 
Also in 2021 was Dose San no or Mr. Saturn's Shop. Here they ramped up the Mr. Saturn goods, including keychains, plushies, stamps, towels, tape, you name it, it's there. The big item was a book filled with the writing of Mr. Saturn's, which I have to assume would be very, very hard to read. Like the other pop-up shop, there's a bit more here in terms of decorations, like the walls show the map of Mr. Saturn's village, and some of the displays are shaped like their houses. Even if you don't buy anything, checking it out just to see hundreds of Mr. Saturn plushies is well worth your time. The next one was during Golden Week of 2022, titled Mother No Departo, or Mother's Department Store. This is, you guessed it, modeled after the department store in the game. Again, more new merch including plushies of the four playable characters from Earthbound. This was a hot ticket item that was recently reprinted, I'll get to that. But I wanted to check this out. However, unlike the past pop-up shops, you actually needed a reservation just to go in. I stupidly assumed I could just walk into them like the others, but nope. So I missed out on this one, which is a shame because the thing looked really neat, as part of it also mimics Foreside. They did rerun this pop-up shop in late 2022, but for some reason I missed that one too. Maybe I was playing too much Splatoon. One I did get to check out was Mother Museum, which was more like an art gallery with some merch inside. Here, they had framed photos of scenes from the game. It sounds silly just to look at some framed pictures of pixel graphics, but the layout of the museum was really pleasant to walk through, and there were some great displays like a black and white wall showing the different versions of Foresight. The best part was an actual gold money money statue encased in a glass box. Is it strong enough to withstand pure evil? I guess so, at least I wasn't corrupted. The most notable piece of new merch was a big metallic badge of the abstract art enemy. I think this may have also been the debut of the teddy bear plushie, an item you can get in the actual game. Items like this are the most tempting. Don't you want to use things from the actual game instead of an object with a picture slapped on it? There are Earthbound yo-yos too in the shop. No baseball bats, yet at least. 2023 saw Street of Mother, a pop-up shop themed around the skate punks from Onet. You can tell that they are really stretching it when it comes to making a unique theme. This shop actually wasn't in Parco Shibuya, but instead Ikebukuro. The weirdest thing they had on sale were the mother-branded skateboards. Quite expensive, but if you want an earthbound skateboard, this is as official as it's going to get. I did buy a skate punk towel, because really, you can never have too many towels. The shop was somewhat themed after the arcade in Onet. They even had a little cab set up. There was also a big Starman statue, because why not? If you've got it, you gotta use it. The most recent pop-up shop and what inspired this segment is New Pork Parko City, a Porky-themed pop-up shop at Parko Shibuya. If you are listening to this and you are in Tokyo until January 14th, you can also check it out. While the other pop-up shops were mostly focused on Earthbound aka Mother 2, this one leaned more into Porky's Mother 3 version. The walls are decorated with pictures from New Pork City, and there's even a cardboard statue of them in the corner. There's a few other standees and decorations like the Pig Mask Army and Porky Flying with Balloons. There is surprisingly a lot of brand new Porky-themed merch. You would think that there wouldn't be a whole lot to do with Porky, but there's a t-shirt featuring his family, a new Porky plush doll, keychains including him riding a helicopter, a memo pad that looks like Porky dollars, and yes, Porky now has his own plushie magnet. I don't know, do people like Porky? I always thought that he was, you know, rather unlikable since he's a villain and not a cool one. But I'm sure there are hardcore Porky fans out there. In this shop also has the much-coveted plushies of the Earthbound heroes that have been restocked recently. It was surreal to see dozens of them lined up in a table because they were sold out for so long. They cost about 100 bucks, so you gotta really, really want them. I couldn't cover every little piece of merch at the shop because honestly, there's a lot. 
I can throw out some recommendations, though. Obviously, the Earthbound character plushies are probably the most appealing, but they are expensive. If you're going to get a plushie, though, shouldn't it be Mr. Saturn? He comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, but the smallest one will still set you back about $20 or so. The magnet plushies are pretty cute and feature a lot of characters you wouldn't expect, like the Chimera from Mother 3 and the Cultist from Earthbound. If you just want something small and cheap, you can't go wrong with clear files or the pin badges. Or if you're more on the practical side, there's tiles and stationery. They also sell some Earthbound books, such as the scripts from the game and Pollyanna, which is an Earthbound manga collection. If you're an Earthbound fan, it's hard to imagine you won't walk out with at least something on your first visit. Repeat visits do feel very deja vu since many of the items are the same, but the store layouts have gotten more elaborate, so it's always fun to just pop by. I think it's safe to say that 2024 will have at least one Earthbound pop-up shop in Tokyo, and I'll be here to tell you all about it. That's it for the feature, now for the news. Late in the year, but there's still some news worth mentioning. Nintendo Tokyo slash Osaka slash Kyoto now has Salmon Run-themed merchandise in stores now. Jackets, cooler bags, gloves, a plate shaped like the logo, and more. My favorite items are the float ring cushion, which will sell you back about $40, and the golden egg keychain, which is about $10. Nintendo has really ramped up the prices for a lot of their merch. It's hard to get anything noteworthy for under 1,000 yen these days. I mean a 1,500 yen keychain? I only have so many keys. And my tote bag currently has a different Splatoon keychain attached to it, so I gotta think up some other reason to blow money on this. I do like how specific this merch is, though. I mean, it's merch based on a single mode. I am still waiting for physical table turf cards, though. Those have to come out eventually, even if they are just purely a collector's item and not an actual game. Hamster put out Konami's 1993 beat-em-up arcade title Mystic Warriors on Switch a few days ago. This is often described as the spiritual successor to Sunset Riders, their more famous run-and-gun type of side-scroller. There's even a very blatant Sunset Riders reference in this game. This hamster release is the first time it's ever been available on a home console, so the release did get a lot of buzz. I picked it up, and yeah, it's definitely very Sunset Ridery, but with a much cooler ninja aesthetic. We all know that ninjas are better than cowboys. I'll probably feature it on a future podcast episode, so I won't go into detail now, but it's certainly worth checking out if you're a fan of Konami's other beat-em-up games. Fun roster of characters, a great art style, and full English voice acting with that cheesy 90s touch. And last thing I want to mention, there's a Like a Dragon pop-up shop happening right now in Ikebukuro. Chita Otokotachi Ten is dedicated to the characters who have died throughout the Like a Dragon series. You can even bring flowers to honor their memory and buy a lot of weird exclusive merch, like a tote bag with dead characters. I really want to check this out. It runs until January 14th here in Tokyo. You do need to purchase tickets beforehand, so hopefully that will at least prevent crowding and needing timed tickets, but I imagine it will be a pretty popular event. I haven't really seen any other Like a Dragon themed pop-up shop here in Tokyo, despite the popularity of the series. If I manage to make it, I'll be sure to report back. Okay, that's all this time. Thanks as always for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app. Leave a five-star review as well. It really helps with visibility. This podcast is also available on YouTube, so like and subscribe there as well. I'm on Twitter, Threads, Blue Sky, Instagram. Just search for Tokyo Game Life or find the links in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and on social media. The next episode will be next year, January 13th. See you next time. Matane! Matane!